The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows, or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit reconstructionistradio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His Kingdom. Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents The Roots of Reconstruction by Rusas John Rushduni Narrated by Shelby Luke This is a Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Please visit calcedon.edu to download this book and many others. Greetings in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. My name is Shelby Luke and I will be reading from Roots of Reconstruction by Russus John Rushdoony. Accreditation and Certification Calcedon Position Paper Number 5 The word accreditation comes from, quote, credo, unquote, I believe, and certification comes from a Latin word meaning, quote, certain, unquote, and means to verify. Both words have an inescapably religious connotation. They imply a verification, a declaring that a thing is true by the religious lord of those who seek accreditation and certification. To seek these things from the state is to declare the state to be our lord. Is the state God's appointed agency of accreditation and certification? Is there any warrant in Scripture for contesting the state's claim to accredit and certify a church or Christian school? The answer to this question is urgently important. Today, the U.S. Internal Revenue Service and a variety of other federal and state agencies claim precisely that right. It is held that a church has no valid status as a church, nor a Christian school any standing or legal status as a school, until some statist agency renders its decision and gives its stamp of approval. The same is held to be true of Christian school teachers. Our answer is very important. We will either offend and anger a powerful humanistic state, or we will anger and offend the sovereign and almighty God. It can also be added that with either decision, we will offend many men. What say the scriptures? When we turn to the Bible, it immediately becomes apparent that our present practice reverses God's order. In Scripture, it is the prophetic ministry of God's law word which accredits or certifies or denounces and places under a ban all officers of state and entire nations as well. The sovereign prerogative of accreditation 
and certification of both church and state is the Lord's, and it is the calling of all God's faithful ministers to apply the rule or canon of the accrediting, certifying law word to all men, institutions, and nations. The ministry of all God's faithful servants in every age has had this focus. Elijah denied certification to Ahab and accreditation to Israel and its people in terms of God's holy law. Athanasius denounced the Roman Empire and a compromising church in terms of that law word. The biblical origin of the Christian ministry is the Levite. The Levites were a teaching ministry, Deuteronomy 33.10, and the Christian pastor continues the Levitical calling because the priestly order and sacrifice is ended. The Levites collected the tithe, Numbers 18.21-28, of which one-tenth went to the priest. The rest provided for instruction, the care of the sanctuary, music, health, and with the second tithe, welfare. The Levites taught the law throughout the nation under Jehoshaphat, 2 Chronicles 17.7-FF, served as judges, 2 Chronicles 19.8-FF, and performed other services for society in general. But the Christian ministry has another source in addition to the Levites, the prophets. The inspired, predictive role of the prophet ended in Christ, the duty of the prophet to proclaim God's word to church, state, and all of life remains. It was the duty of God's prophets and Levites to declare God's word to all men, to reprove kings and governors, and to, quote, accredit, unquote, or refuse to certify in terms of God's law word, the things of this world, including the state. Civil government was strictly barred from invading God's house as witnessed the case of Uzziah, Second Chronicles 26, 16-23. It was the duty of civil authorities to protect and build up God's house, but never to claim powers in or over it. Rulers thus called for reform, but the Reformation was then entrusted to God's chosen ministry. Thus, in every area of life, accreditation and certification were by the word of God, not by state, church, or man. The law word, not man's will, is the standard. It is a usurpation of God's prerogative when the state claims the right to accredit and to certify either a church or a Christian school. It becomes a claim to be God on earth. Those who accept such accreditation and certification are like the 400 false prophets who served Ahab, 1 Kings 22, 6-7. As Jehoshaphat rightly saw, these men were not prophets of the Lord. Rome, of course, was ready to accredit all churches who would come before the authorities and confess that, quote, Caesar is Lord, unquote. The early church refused accreditation, licensure, permits, and controls because it confessed Jesus Christ, not Caesar, as Lord. The Puritans, of course, had election sermons on every Sunday preceding an election in civil government. Accreditation was the purpose of these sermons. Because no area of life or creation exists outside its Creator's law, that word must be declared in all its binding power to every area. The election sermon was thus an accreditation sermon. It set forth the word of God as it bore upon the issues of the day. It certified that which is righteous or just in terms of God's word. 
There is a law word thus in terms of which all things are judged, and there is a bar before which all things must stand. It is God's law, and it is God's throne, and the government is on none other shoulders than that of the Lord. Isaiah 9, 6 For any human agency to attempt to replace God's law and God's accreditation with its own is to sin and to play God. Its test, then, becomes that of Ahab concerning God's prophet, Micaiah. Quote, I hate him, for he doth not prophesy good concerning me, but evil, unquote. 1 Kings 22, 8. The servants of the word of God are always hated by the humanist in every age. But in the final analysis, and on the last day, no man stands apart from that word and the grace it proclaims. And no man has that grace who denies the law word of the Lord of all grace. The redeemed of God are those who, standing in grace, believe and obey God's every word. Matthew 4, 4. That law word is in their hands and in their hearts. As Scripture declares, I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. Psalms 48. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts, and write it in their hearts, and will be their God, and they shall be my people. Jeremiah thirty-one, thirty-three. And I will give them one heart, and I will put a new spirit within you, and I will take the stony heart out of their flesh, and will give them a heart of flesh. Ezekiel eleven nineteen. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. Ezekiel thirty six twenty six. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind, and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. Hebrews eight ten. John Calvin, in a famous passage, declared that, quote, the law is a silent magistrate, and a magistrate a speaking law, unquote. Institutes of Christian Religion, Book 4, Chapter 20, Section 14. However, as the doctrine of the priesthood of all believers, Exodus 19.6, Isaiah 61.6, Revelation 1.8, 1 Peter 2.9, etc., makes clear every man is called to be God's walking law. The law of God is the way of holiness for the redeemed. It is written on the tables of their hearts, and it governs their being. It is only when this is so that we can love and serve the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, strength, and being, and love our neighbors as ourselves. Mark twelve twenty nine thirty one, Matthew twenty two thirty seven through 40 Deuteronomy 6, 5, 10, 12, 30, 6, Luke 10, 27, etc. The Christian is the manifest grace of God and is called to be the walking law of and witness to his Lord. This places a great responsibility upon covenant man. God's law assigns various duties to institutions. Civil government is thus called to be a ministry of justice of God's righteousness or justice, Romans 13, 1, FF. And the church is called to be the ministry of the word and of God's grace and righteousness. 
It is a serious error to limit the doctrine of ordination and calling to institutions. St. Paul declares, quote, For we are his, God's, workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them, unquote. Ephesians 2.10 We are redeemed so, quote, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, unquote. Romans 8. The law in terms of which the redeemed of the Lord move is thus God's law. Only this law can accredit and certify the believer. The state may legalize abortion, homosexuality, fornication, and more, but the redeemed cannot be party to such practices nor recognize any validity in such laws. Quote, for conscience sake, unquote. Romans 13, 5. The believer, in obedience to God, avoids rebellion, but for conscience' sake he also obeys God rather than men. Acts 5.29 Least of all can the redeemed allow men to control that which belongs to the Lord. The church and the Christian school are not the property of the state, nor are they the property of the congregation. They are the Lord's, and can be surrendered to no man. The pagan principle that the state is God walking on earth has a major revival in our time. In old Russia, the Tatar invaders held that all were obliged to serve the state. Later, the Tsars held to the same doctrine. A confidant of Alexander I, 1801-1825, said of him, quote, In a word, he would willingly have agreed that every man should be free on the condition that he should do only what the emperor wished, unquote. Communist Russia has carried the pagan doctrine of the supremacy of the state to this logical conclusion. In the West, however, the same doctrine has been very prevalent also. Earlier in the divine right of kings, now in the doctrine of the general will and its incarnation in the state. In England, Henry VIII was part of a process going back at least to the Synod of Whitby in 664 A.D. His confiscation of church properties and his use thereof was an act of arrogation and blasphemy. The step preceding this act was a royal commission which indicted the church and denied it, quote, accreditation, unquote, as the preliminary step towards confiscation. This was no new step. Every tyrant who seized as much as one church first of all claimed the authority to deny that church its credentials. The modern 20th century attack on the church and the Christian school uses the same ploy. The Russian Revolution promoted the idea of corruption in the Russian church, but it loved and used the corrupt and compromising and persecuted the faithful as it still does. The situation is no different in the United States. The attack is on the faithful and the uncompromising, on those who declare unequivocally, quote, Jesus Christ is Lord, unquote, and who will not sacrifice what is the Lord's to Caesar. The Reverend Levi Wisner and Dr. Lester Roloff and others have been ready to surrender their freedom and have gone to jail at no small cost to themselves, but they have refused to surrender what belongs to Jesus Christ to American Caesars. The compromising clergy are, of course, full of, quote, good, unquote, reasons why their way is, quote, the path of reason, unquote. 
But reason is not our Lord. Jesus Christ is. These compromising clergymen cannot say with Paul, quote, But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after men. Unquote. Galatians 1.11 The word Paul uses is gnorizo, meaning to certify, declare, know, understand. Paul declared that he had been faithful not to men, but to the Lord and he had paid a price for that faithfulness. He understood that God's word cannot be compromised. No man can claim rights over God or the power to judge and accredit God's realm. To be a walking law means above all to be governed and to live as our Lord declares, quote, by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God, unquote. Matthew 4, 4, Deuteronomy 8, 3, and Luke 4, 4. It means to be like Elijah, quote, very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, unquote. 1 Kings 19.10 To guard God's realm from the covetous hands of ungodly men. It means, as prophets and disciples saw, being, quote, brought before governors and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them, unquote. Matthew 10.18 It means knowing the whole of God's counsel, His law word, in all our being, living and obeying it, and bringing men and nations into conformity to it in Christ. We accredit ourselves by the Lord's sovereign word, and we require all things to be accredited by it. It means denouncing the Ahabs of our day in church, state, and school, and declaring the lordship of Jesus Christ over all things. It means, in brief, Proclaiming the Crown Rights of Christ the King, July 1979. The Reason for the Attacks One of the problems facing Christian schoolmen and churches under fire from the state is the attacks from other churchmen. No matter how flagrant the attack, excuses are made for the state. When I told someone of the demands made by the IRS on a newly formed Bible church, which included giving power of attorney to the IRS, the response was, quote, there must be a reason, unquote. I have given copies of the Christian Law Association Defender and Chalcedon materials to many and met with a similar response or been told that these and other lawyers are trying to make money. There is a reason for these attitudes. It is compromise and it is sin. No man has the right to surrender anything which belongs to Jesus Christ to Caesar. There cannot be two masters over Christ's domain. Even more, instead of surrendering Christ's realm, we must enlarge it in the trial of a Michigan state trooper for refusing to obey an order contrary to his Christian convictions. One witness reminded the trial board that, in terms of Scripture, they are ministers of God, and will be judged as such by him. He witnessed to the necessity for recognizing the total claims of Christ the Lord. Anything short of that is sin. July 1979 The Heresy of Democracy with God Chalcedon Position Paper Number 6 A young woman, mother of a girl of six years, described conditions in the grade school, K-6, across from their church. One teacher is openly a lesbian. 
Some boys regularly drag screaming girls into the boys' toilets to expose themselves to the girls, and nothing is done about it. The leading church officer had an answer to her call for a Christian school. He did not believe in spiritual isolationism for Christians, and this is what Christian schools represent. Unusual. On the contrary, all too common an attitude. In Calcedon Position Paper Number 2, I wrote on, quote, Can we tithe our children? Unquote. I quoted Psalms 128.1. Quote, Blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord, that walketh in his ways. Unquote. This fell into the hands of a minister who was apparently very upset by it. He corrected the word of God and wrote to declare, quote, I do not like the word feareth, rather loveth the Lord, unquote. Unusual? No, all too common. A pastor planning to speak on biblical authority had the word, quote, authority, unquote, altered in the church bulletin by members to read, quote, leadership, unquote. A prominent church publication spoke with ridicule and hatred of all who would believe in anything so, quote, primitive, unquote, as biblical law. Another pastor, planning to discipline a seriously sinning member, was attacked by his fellow pastors at a church meeting. Somehow, it is unloving to deal with sin as God's word requires it. Is it necessary to give further examples? More pastors lose pulpits for their faithfulness to Scripture than for any other reason. Trifling excuses are found to make possible the dissolution of a pastoral relationship. Open sin is condoned and simple faithfulness is despised. The telephone rings regularly to bring reports of fresh instances of churches in revolt against God and His Word. Gary North is right. Humanism's accomplices or in the church. Christian Reconstruction, Volume 3, Number 2. Much of this stems from one of the great heresies of our day, the belief in democracy. At the beginning of the century, some churchmen began talking about the democracy of God, an example that God wants a universe where he and his creatures can work and plan together in a democratic way. Of course, if our relationship with God is a democratic one, we can correct the Bible where it displeases us, eliminate what we cannot correct, and use other standards and tests for the church and the clergy than God's inscriptured word. Then, logically, our word is as good as God's word and as authoritative as God's. In his important study, The Heresy of Democracy, 1955, Lord Percy of Newcastle declared of democracy that it is a, quote, Philosophy which is nothing less than a new religion. Unquote. Page 16. The justification for all things is not to be found in the triune God, but in the people. Virtue means meeting people's needs, and the democratic state, church, and God have one function to supply human wants. State, school, church, and God become chaplains to man called upon to bow down before man's authority. In fact, Lord Percy said of state schools, quote, This is, indeed, democracy's characteristic, mark of the beast. Of all means of assimilation, the most essential to democracy is a uniform state-controlled education, unquote. Page 13. 
To challenge that system is to shake democracy's structure, including its state and church. Earlier, Ficht saw status education in messianic terms. Quote, progress is that perfection of education by which the nation is made man. Unquote. Within the church, the modernists first advocated the state as God's voice and instrument. Wellhausen, the German leader of the higher criticism of the Old Testament, declared, quote, We must acknowledge that the nation is more certainly created by God than the church, and that God works more powerfully in the history of nations than in church history. Behind all this is the question of authority. Is it from God or from man? If God is the sovereign authority over all things, then His law word alone can govern all things. Religion, politics, economics, science, education, law, and all things else must be under God or they are in revolt. If the ultimate authority is man, then all things must serve man and bow down before man's authority. As T. Robert Ingram has so clearly pointed out in What's Wrong with Human Rights, 1979, the doctrine of human rights is the humanistic replacement for biblical law. Man, now being regarded as sovereign, his rights have replaced God's law as the binding force and authority over man and his world. The cultural effects of this change have been far-reaching. In a remarkably brilliant and telling study, Anne Douglas, in The Feminization of American Culture, 1977, has shown the effects of Unitarianism and religious liberalism on American culture. From a God-centered emphasis, not necessarily consistent or thorough in application, a man-centered focus emerged. The new justification of women became the cult of motherhood, a humanistic, man-centered focus. And for men and women alike, quote, doing good, unquote, for one's fellow men. With this new emphasis, men left the church or regarded it as peripheral to their lives, and the liberal clergy developed the fundamentals of what we have today as soap opera religion. In Anne Douglas's delightfully incisive wording, quote, It is hardly accidental that soap opera, an increasing specialty of 19th century liberal Protestantism, is a phenomenon which we associate with the special needs of feminine subculture. Unquote. Page 48. Liberal religion feminized the clergy, made women and Christianity irrelevant to life, and created a spineless, gutless clergy for whom the faith is sentimental talk and not the power of God unto salvation. To quote Dr. Douglas again, quote, The liberal minister who abandoned theology lost his right to start from the facts of the Bible as his predecessors understood them that God made man, man sinned against him, and God had and has the right to assign any punishment he judges fit for the offenses. Unquote. Page 200. This humanistic soap opera religion conquered other areas of the church. Arminianism quickly adopted it, as did much of Calvinism, as their emphasis shifted from God's sovereign act of salvation to man's ostensible choice, or man's experience, and from the centrality and authority of the word to an emotional, experientially governed, quote, heart, religion, unquote. In this humanist parody of Christianity, man's experience has priority over God's word. 
One, quote, Christian worker, unquote, told me that it was unwise for people to read the Bible without the guidance of a, quote, real, unquote, experience of, quote, spirit-filled, unquote, heart religion. Of course, for him, the Spirit freed him from the Word, a heretical opinion. One pastor who announced a series of sermons on authority, an example, the authority of God, of His Word, authority under God, etc., was told bluntly that he should preach on, quote, fellowship, unquote, with God, not God's authority. When churchmen are hostile to God's authority, they are not Christians. Fellowship with God through Christ is on His terms and under His grace and authority. Quote, If we say we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Unquote. 1 John 1, 6 A church which denies God's authority will be in no position to resist the state's authority. It will look to authorities other than the Lord's for its justification and, in yielding to the state, it will do so in the spirit of cooperation, not compromise, because its true fellowship is with man and the state, not the Lord. Ambrose, in 385 A.D., resisted the state's requisition of a church in Milan, declaring, quote, What belongs to God is outside the emperor's power, unquote. Ambrose said further in his sermon against Auxentius, quote, we pay to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. Tribute is due to Caesar. We do not deny it. The church belongs to God, therefore it ought not to be assigned to Caesar. For the temple of God cannot be Caesar's by right. Unquote. The emperor, he added, could be in the church by faith, but never above or over it. Chrysostom in dealing also with conflict with Caesar, warned his people, in, quote, concerning the statutes, unquote, homily 3, 19. Quote, This certainly I foretell and testify that although this cloud should pass away and we yet remain in the same condition of listlessness, we shall again have to suffer much heavier evils than those we are now dreading. For I do not so much fear the wrath of the emperor as your own listlessness. Unquote. Here Chrysostom put his finger on the heart of the matter. The threat was less the emperor and more a listless and indifferent church. The same problem confronts us today. The greater majority of church members do not feel that Christianity is worth fighting for, let alone dying for. They only want the freedom to be irrelevant and to omit pious gush as a substitute for faithfulness and obedience. In soap opera religion, life is without dominion. Instead, it is a forever abounding mess met with a sensitive and bleeding heart. Soap opera religion is the faith of the castrated, of the impotent, and the irrelevant. The devotees of soap opera religion are full of impotent self-pity and rage over the human predicament, but are devoid of any constructive action. Only destruction and negation become them. The heresy of democracy leads to the triumph of sentimental religion. Dr. Douglas defines sentimentalism thus, quote, Sentimentalism is a cluster of ostensibly private feelings which always attains public and conspicuous expression 
Unquote. Page 307. The focus in sentimental religion shifts from God's word to man's feelings and from basic doctrine to psychology and human needs. The doctrine of the sovereignty of man means the sovereignty of total man and all his feelings. We have a generation now whose concern is themselves, whose self-love blots out reality and truth. So great is this self-absorption that in any office, faculty, church, group, or other fellowship, there are commonly persons who give their momentous personal communiques on purely private matters. Quote, I didn't sleep well last night. I'm so tired today. Nothing I eat agrees with me lately, and I'm always gassy. I saw that film and used oodles of Kleenex. The color green always upsets me. I can't bear to have children around. Unquote and so on and on. Purely private feelings are announced as though the world should react, be concerned, and be governed by them. Even worse, God is approached with a similar endless gush of private feelings, as though God should be concerned and upset when an egomaniac is distressed. Few people pray asking, quote, Lord, what will thou have me to do? Unquote. Acts 9, 6. Rather, they pray with a list of demands on God for Him to supply. Now Paul declares that God will supply all our needs, quote, according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus, Philippians 4.19. But that promise is preceded by an epistle which speaks at length of God's requirements of us and also calls for contentment on our part with our God-decreed lot, Philippians 4.11. Basic also to the heresy of democracy in the church is its belief, not only in man's needs as against God's requirements, but its belief in the irrelevance of God's law. If man is sovereign, God's law cannot bind him, and both hell and justice fade away. God, then, is allowed only one approach to man, love. He is portrayed as needing, yearning for, and calling for man's love. Man is in the driver's seat to accept or reject that plea. Lord Percy stated it succinctly, quote, A mere breaker of law may always be saved, but there is no salvation for the deniers of law. Unquote. Page 108. They have denied God's sovereignty and His power to save. Their only logical relationship to God, then, is not by salvation, but by man, ordained fellowship. Then, too, what man has ordained, man can destroy. So there is no efficacious salvation and no perseverance of the saints. This brings us to the conclusion of sovereign man. On both sides of the, quote, iron curtain, unquote, politicians trumpet the claim that theirs is the free world. Quote, the free world, unquote, is a curious and popular term in the 20th century so commonly used that its meaning is hardly considered. What is the free world free from? First of all, it means freedom from the other side. The enemy represents bondage, quote, our side, unquote, freedom. Although all the while, freedom decreases in the West, even as its relics grow fewer behind the Iron Curtain. The less free we become, the more we are told of the virtues of our freedom.
But second, the whole world is not free in its more basic sense, quote, free, unquote, from God. For the Marxist religion, biblical faith in particular, is the opium of the masses. For democratic thinkers like John Dewey and James Bright Conant, Christianity and the family are anti-democratic and aristocratic and hence incompatible with democracy. See R.J. Rushduni, Messianic Character of American Education. The death of God's school of a few years ago did not say that God is dead in himself, but that God is dead for us because they declared we find him, quote, non-historical, unquote, and irrelevant to our purposes in this world. Only that which meets man's needs and purposes is alive for man, and therefore man wants to be free from the sovereign God. The man who did not believe in, quote, spiritual isolationism, unquote, of which he accused the Christian schools, was emphatic on one point. We must obey the powers that be, the state because God ordains it. Peter's words, quote, we ought to obey God rather than men, unquote, Acts 3.29, brought little response from him. Obedience to many other things in Scripture, such as tithing, bring no similar strong demand for obedience, but all such are ready to call their compromise with Caesar a faithfulness to God. But to obey in the Hebrew Scripture means essentially to hear the word of God to believe it, and to act on it. Therefore, W.A. Whitehouse said that the word obey has, quote, the closest possible association with believe, unquote. A. Richardson, editor, A Theological Word Book of the Bible, page 160. Contrary to the humanistic democratic mood in religious thought today, Christianity is an authoritative faith. It is held throughout all scripture that all human authority is derived or conferred or falsely claimed and is always subject to the sovereign and absolute authority of God and is always subject to the terms of his law word. We have an age that wants, if it has anything to do with God, only his fellowship on man's terms and without his sovereignty and lordship. It dares to correct and amend God's word it refuses to hear him, but offers rather to love him. One Hollywood, quote, Christian, unquote, leader of a few years back spoke of God as, quote, a living doll, unquote. It wants a universe in which man plays sovereign and creator, endeavoring to create a brave new world out of sinful man or out of self-centered churchmen, and it produces a fair facsimile of hell. Such a world is begging for judgment, and then, as now, quote, judgment must begin at the house of God, unquote. 1 Peter 4, 17. As always, judgment precedes salvation. August 1979. Thank you for joining me this week in the reading of Roots of Reconstruction by Bruce's John Rushman. Lord willing, we will be reading again next week. Until then, may God bless your endeavors as you serve the one and only King Jesus. It was the blood of Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, the love of the
Calvary's tree, where he died for you and me. And if love he deserves, we should. Tell the 